we're kicking off a brand new series today called A Promise One. Um, how many have ever made a promise? How many have ever had a, had a promise made to you? And sometimes they just take a while. You ever, ever been there before? Frank Coletti, check this out. Frank Coletti was 11 years old. And uh, the Cubs were going into the World Series. Do we have any Cubs fans in the room? Any of them? Uh, Haley is back in the in the. We only have one Cubs fan in this place. Oh wow, that's crazy. Um, get out of here. So he wanted he wanted to see the Cubs in the World Series, and he got super excited because his three older brothers told him the night before Game Five, "We're going to the game." And when you're 11 years old and you hear the, the words, we are going to the game, you just assume that that's you too. And so he got super excited and super jazzed and he was going to see his Cubs in the World Series until his older brother said, his older brother Ned said, hey buddy, but you can't go. Heart broken, dreams dashed. He said, he said, Frank, here's the deal. Um, we're going the night before and we are literally going to sleep on the streets to try to get a ticket. We're going to find scalpers. We're going to do everything that we can to get into this game. And you are just too young. And Frank said that he stood on the corner and he watched his brothers head from the north side of Chicago. Is it from the south side to the north side? The Cubs are in the north side of Chicago, right? I think so. And uh, it was the opposite end of town. And he said he just stood on that corner crying because he knew that he was missing his opportunity. But Ned said, Ned said, Hey buddy, I promise you that the next time the Cubs are in the World Series, we are going to take you. But here's the deal. Next time didn't come for a very, very long time. That was October 6th, 1945. That was the promise. That's what they called it in their family, the promise. Because every time, you know, the Cubs were good once again, they would talk about going to the World Series and, and little, and little, uh, Frank would say, Hey, Ned, you remember the promise? And all the old brothers would say, Hey, we're going to take you. And of course, the promise never came because they didn't make it back to the World Series until 71 years later. Last year, the Cubs made it to the World Series. And the problem, though, was that Frank's older brothers had already passed on. And he was at the, at the age of 82. But the thing is, because the legend had percolated through his family, Ned's oldest son, Ned Jr., um, who was an executive for the Los Angeles Dodgers, said, I am going to fulfill the promise my dad made. And so he took him to game three, game four, game five, game six, and game seven when they eventually won the World Series. What was really funny when I was reading the article, when uh, Ned um, also took Frank to the National League Championship game where the Dodgers were playing the Cubs, he, uh, it, the story says that Frank looked over at Ned and says, don't let your team screw this up. And, uh, <laughs> and the Cubs ended up, ended up beating them. But some promises, they just take time. They just take time. And that's what we're talking about today. 
We're talking about in this series a promise one. We're looking at the promise of God that were made throughout the Old Testament that were later fulfilled in the person of Jesus and we still being fulfilled in our lives today. The very first promise that God made, the very first prophecy that God made about the coming Messiah was actually in Genesis chapter 3 where God is confronting the serpent and he's telling the serpent, hey, you're going to bruise the heel of the coming Messiah, of the promised one, but he is going to crush your head with his heel. That was the promise that was made. We're going to talk about this promised man, this Jesus, from now until the Christmas Eve service. And we're going to look at his promises that were made in the Old Testament. And what do they mean for us today? You see, all this stuff in the Old Testament, when we go back and we look at it, what we see in Genesis and in Adam and Eve, the, the Adam and Eve sinned. And because of their sin, the scripture tells us that sin entered all men because that original sin took place and all men has since then fallen away from God. And so therefore there is now needed a redeemer to bring man back to God. That's what we read in Isaiah chapter 53. If you have your notes, you can pull up and you can read along with me. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, all of us. Like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. And this is what the scripture says. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And who is that him that Isaiah is writing about? Jesus. And that's we find out in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. It says, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. It's a promised redemption. Put this little saying in your notes. By his breath, God gave us life. And by his death, he gave us life again. So what does that mean that we have been redeemed? We've been redeemed for what? We've been redeemed from what? What what have we been redeemed from? I'm so glad you asked. Pull out your notes. Here's four things for you this morning. Are you ready? The first thing is this. Is that Christ redeemed us from the mystery of of how to be right with God. Christ redeemed us from the mystery of how to be right with God. Romans 5.12 says this, is when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. When it says that everyone has sinned, how many of you would say that that might also include you? Anybody willing to say it might also? How many of you are sure that it includes the person sitting next to you? You're positive that it is them? We have all sinned. No elbows in the ribs. Let's, let's keep physical touch to ourselves. Keep your hands to yourself. We have all sinned. The scripture's really clear. We've all sinned and we've all fallen away from God. If you go to any culture on any part of the world, you will discover that people have this innate sense of the supernatural. Any place you go, any culture, they have to believe that there is something out there. And since we're not connected to whatever is out there, we have to find a way to get there. And every culture has some sort of idea on how to reconnect with this God, but they don't know how to get there. And around and around and around they go. Paul was walking around Athens at the end of the book 
of Acts. And he was teaching, and, he, and as he was walking and teaching, he saw all of these different idols that were set up for all these different gods. And, and listen to what he writes in Acts chapter 17, verse 23. He says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. It's just like those people were saying, just in case we're leaving you out, whatever God there is out there, we're going to build an altar just for you. We don't want to leave any God out, so we're, we're trying to figure it out. Is there anything worse than trying to find an answer to a problem that's been plaguing you and you just can't do it? There's nothing worse. Anybody own a Rubik's Cube or have ever attempted to do a Rubik's Cube? Has anyone in this room ever, you don't have to raise your hand because I know you have. Has anyone else, other, <laughs> has anyone else ever completed a Rubik's Cube before? No, Mixed it up? YouTube, and I did. <laughs> YouTube helped you figure it out. It's crazy. I remember when I was a kid and I got a Rubik's Cube. And that thing drove me crazy because I started out really confident. I got that square and all the colors looked perfect and they were bright and they were shiny. And I was so confident in my skills to put it together, I went to mixing that bad boy up. And I I guess I'm just an expert mixer-upper because I mixed that thing up so good that I never, ever figured it out how to put it together back the right way. I got so frustrated at one point that I eventually busted out a screwdriver and I started busting off corner pieces. You just got to get, or you can peel off the stickers. Either way, you can do it. And then I just started popping them off and then I, I put it back together. And that's the only way I ever figured out how to fix that broken Rubik's Cube. Broken. Oh, it got broken all right. There was a 19-year-old kid. His name was Graham Parker. He lived in England. He got a Rubik's Cube. And so the story that I read said he became obsessed by it. Absolutely obsessed. He had to figure it out. And he went to town on that thing. The first day he got it, he didn't even go to sleep. He worked on that thing all night long. And he just couldn't put it away. Every day when he'd get home, every day from work, school, whatever, he was working on that. Eventually he got married. And his wife said that that Rubik's Cube felt like a mistress. I mean, it was going everywhere. He missed appointments. He missed uh, stuff. He was consumed by it. And finally, check this out, 26 years later, he finally slid that last piece into its proper place and he solved his Rubik's Cube. 26 years. He said he bust out in tears, just bawling, crying, because this thing that consumed him, he finally figured out. He found, he found the answer. When we talk about this redemption, we talk about a God that we're all looking for, but some of us don't really know it. Or if we do know it, we're not quite sure how to get back to him. And here's the thing, is God didn't want us to wander around in darkness and, and, and maybe in happenstance just stumble upon him. So he sent his son Jesus as the promised redemption, he said, I just want to make it crystal clear. This is how you return to me. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen? Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. See, Christ redeemed us from the mystery of how to be made right with God. Here's a second thought. Is that Christ redeemed us from the depth and darkness of our sin? Ever messed up? You want to confess? We're at church. It's a good place to throw it out there. Ever messed up? Ever, maybe this morning, you just didn't even start out today right, and you've already got off on the wrong foot. How many of you, and I don't, you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but how many of you have ever felt like you just, you blew it bad? You just blew it. You blew it. Sometimes when we fail, especially when we feel like we fail God, we feel like we've, we've blown it too bad. And that there's no way back. But what we know about this redemption is that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how many times you've done it. Christ atoned for your sin. I love this passage you find in Colossians 1, 20 and 21. It says, He made peace with everything. Now, how many understand that everything includes everything? It's everything, right? He says, He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I love this. Read this part with me. This includes you who were once far away from God. Far away. Not just for those that have messed up a little. It's for all of us who've blown it and blown it big time. God takes those lives, our lives, that we feel like we've shattered apart, and he puts it back together in an amazing ways. Robert Schuller tells a pretty incredible story about um, a... Um, I want to keep saying castle, but castle is not the right word. We'll have to Google it after the service. And in Tehran, Iran, um, there is a, a building, a castle, if you will, um, that has one of the most beautiful mosaics in the world. The original architect and designer um, ordered some some large mirrors that they were going to place throughout this this um, this building and. And uh, when they ordered it from Paris, when it got shipped, when they opened up the crates, to their horror, the mirrors had been shattered into into a lot of pieces. And so the construction guy who had opened the crates just thought, you know, this is over, let's just throw it away. But then the architect found out about it and said, wait, 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 bring it, bring it back to me. And so this architect, this designer, began to smash and shape and form these broken pieces of mirrors and made them into this these beautiful mosaics and their most beautiful you know it might be a temple or something in in iran something that was broken was used to be made something beautiful and that's what god has the ability to do I don't know about you, but there are times and moments and days where I feel broken and wounded. And we wonder, can, can God really take these, these broken places and do something with it? And He can. He's the promised 
Redeemer. No matter how broken your life may be, God has this amazing ability to take those broken things and put them back together. And Paul understood this. When he was writing Timothy, he makes a statement. He says this. He says, here's a true saying. Christ came into this world to save sinners, and, and I am the worst. In another scripture, the translation says, and I am the chief of all sinners. What do we know about Paul before he met Jesus on that road to Damascus? Well, what we know is that he was a, a zealot Jew who thought that Christians were committing blasphemy. And the, the, the penalty for blasphemy was, was death. And it was Paul, when he had the name Saul, who was breaking up families and putting Christians, torturing them and putting them to death until he met Jesus. And he's saying this, is that if God can forgive a guy like me and put my life together, think of what he can do for you. Johnny um, Turnipseed, not Appleseed, Turnipseed, um, uh, had a book in October 2014 came out called Bloodline. And it's his story. Johnny grew up in Alabama and uh, he went to church surrounded by family. It was a large family lived in the area uh, until about five. And then his dad decided to take his family and move, move them to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, he says in his book that, that when they made that move, his father became a violent alcoholic. And uh, he said he and his brother would, would just pray. You know, whenever they were about to get a beating or their mother was catching a beating, they would just pray. And, and, and for years, for God to stop all of this, and, but, but they just continued until about the age of 12, when he finally said, hey, my dad is not going to help me to become a man. And so he left his house and he began to hang around and run errands and do things for, for some of the older guys that lived in his community. But the problem was that in his community, the people he was running errands for and helping out and looking to as kind of mentors in his life were pimps and drug dealers. So he said he became a pimp and he became a drug dealer. And uh, he was in and out of prison, arrested many times, and eventually he was arrested for armed robbery. And um, he said, "I was," he said, "I was the worst of all men." He was a pimp, he was a drug dealer, and he said he did horrible things, horrible things that he could ever imagine. He said, at the age uh, tw- after being in prison, um, doing this stuff for twenty years, at the age of thirty-two, while he was in prison, he heard from his family or from one of the guards, I can't remember which one it was, that his son, his youngest son who had followed in his footsteps was killed outside of a party in Minneapolis. He said in that moment, sitting in his prison cell, he he threw his head into his hands and he just began to weep. And he started to remember all those things that he was taught as a little kid in church in Alabama at the young age of five. God started bringing all those truths to him. He says in that moment, he confessed his sin and he asked God to forgive him and to give him mercy and to grant him grace. And, and he said, and I am determined that when I leave this place, I am going to be a different man. And he did. This is his picture. I want to read to you about what John's like now. 
John is now an ordained minister. In his 20-year journey, John Turnipseed has transformed into a community leader, pastor, speaker, and serves as the director of the Center for Fathering and Vice President of Urban Ventures, a 21-year-old nonprofit set into the heart of the same Minneapolis gang territory that John and his family terrorized. He said that life-changing turnaround has fueled his passion for rebuilding relationships between fathers and their families. And the center that he created has helped over 600 men and 200 women every single year. Now, I don't know what you've done or how long you've done it, but one thing I do know is that God's grace is bigger. Scripture says that where sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. What what did God redeem you from? From the depths and darkness of the sin that you find yourself in. Here's a third thought. Is that Christ redeemed us from the frustration and inability to fix ourselves. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Here's the bad news. The bad news is, is that you're separated from God and you can't do anything about it. You can't fix it. And the good news is, is that you don't have to. That's what Jesus did. Have any of you ever discovered that when you try to fix your own mess, it just gets a little bit messier? Anybody like me? Yeah. We can't fix it. I put these three statements in your notes. You can never be good enough on your own. Have you ever been told to just try harder? Just try harder. Just try harder. It's so frustrating to give all you have and it just not be enough. I don't have it in me. And when I don't have it in me, it feels defeating. It's like what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7 where he says, the good stuff that I want to do, this is a Jared paraphrase by the way, the good stuff that I want to do, I I just can't seem to do. But the bad stuff I don't want to do, man, I am really good at that. And I can't stop myself from doing it. Who's gonna, who's gonna save me from this body of death? And the scripture says, thanks be to God for Christ Jesus our Lord, for there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. You won't be good enough. But because of God's power working in you, you don't have to be. Here's the second thought. You can never do enough good deeds to be righteous. We think if we can do enough good stuff, enough kind deeds, we can give enough, we can sacrifice enough, all of that, though, added together, doesn't pay enough to cover for our sins. Period. But there was one good deed done for us in Christ giving his life that was good enough. Here's the third thought. We could never punish ourselves enough. Anybody like me, just kind of wired with that shame button and you really love to push it? When you fail, you just beat yourself up over and over and over again. But you never, you never feel better though, do you? It never gets any better when you do that. There's a part of ourselves that wants to punish ourselves before God 
But here's the thing is that no matter how much we punish ourselves, it doesn't make us right with God. It doesn't save us. There was only one punishment necessary that matters, and that one was enough when Jesus gave his life for us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from who? God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. I heard a pretty cool story about this guy by the name of Ed Pierce who retired at the age of 54. Anybody want to be on that plan? That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Ed lived in South Carolina and he needed some supplemental income so he bought some rental properties and used that income to boost his monthly income um, and that kept him kept him floating until 2008 happened. How many of you remember 2008? I'm sure in this area, if you lived in this area, you felt, you know, when the stock market crashed in 2008, when the real estate crashed. Story says that when the stock market tanked and people lost their jobs, um, a few of the families who were renting from them couldn't pay their rent any longer. And Ed said he was in a real dilemma. He met with some of these families, and, and they were really good people. They were trying really hard to find jobs. They just couldn't find them. And it was a tough time. You all remember that, right? He said he didn't, he didn't want to put all these families back on the street. And there were three families that were, couldn't pay their rent any longer, and so he prayed with them. Because he knew that they felt stuck. And while he was praying with them, he felt like God was impressing on him that retirement was over. And it was time for him to go back to work. You get this? Ed Pierce, the retired man. I mean, he could have put those families out and found some renters and continued to live his life the way he was living it. But God said, no, 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 no. It's time for you to go back to work. And so he got a job at Walgreens making $8.50 an hour working from 2 to 10, five days a week so that he didn't have to do that to those families. He covered their rent. Ed did something for these families that they couldn't do for themselves. And they were spared not by their goodness, but by His. And so were we. No matter what we do, we couldn't earn this redemption from Jesus. And the good news is, is that we don't have to. That's why it's called grace. Here's one last thought. Is that Christ redeemed us to restore our relationship? Christ redeemed us to restore our relationship with God. Hebrews, the Hebrews had a beautiful picture of what perfection was. To them, perfection was them walking with God in the cool of the day. You see, that's the type of relationship that Adam had with God before sin entered the world. The world scripture says that Adam would walk with God in the cool of the evening, would walk and talk with God, the King of Kings, the Creator, the Lord of Lords, the one that has all the power and mustered all of this together. That God Adam walked with, but then sin came. And guess what no longer happened after sin entered the world? The walk and talk with God. 
But then Jesus came. You see, when Christ came, it wasn't just about finding forgiveness. It wasn't just about purifying our heart. It just wasn't about paying what we couldn't pay. It was about restoring once again back to the garden and us having the ability to walk and talk with God. Romans 5.11, Paul writes this. He says, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us, say it with me, friends of God. See, you're just not his kid. You're just not his child. He says, you're my friend. We're in relationship together. You have been redeemed. Is that a word you can own? Are you redeemed? Jesus said, uh, uh, the worship band, Sarah, if you can come back up. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life No one comes to the Father but by me. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. No matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, this morning you have the privilege of opening up your life to the Redeemer through to Jesus and having your life and love and relationship with God restored. Scripture says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. I have a question for you. Is he your redeemer? Have you made that step of faith, that confession? It says, if you believe in your heart and confess in your mouth that Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. Father, this morning, as we close our worship time together, we know that you have a good work that your Holy Spirit wants to do in us. And Father, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning who is never taking that step of faith for you to become their Redeemer, their Savior, their God, their King, their Father, Lord, that this morning they would step out in boldness and in faith. The Scripture says if we confess our sins... You, God, are faithful and just that you will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so it's just a matter of us confessing, saying, I've fallen, I'm a sinner, and I need your grace. If we believe in our heart that Christ is Lord, we shall be saved. You're our Redeemer, God. Holy Spirit, work in us this morning in Jesus' name. We are so grateful. And all of God's people said,